Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And um, I know we don't normally do uh, top of show things here. Okay. But I, I wanted to talk about something that has nothing whatsoever to do with movies. Okay. Right? Which is the drama happening at my workplace. <laughs> okay. So, so we record these movie journals on Thursday evenings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're on the precipice of free bagel day. Okay. Okay. Is Friday, that, that Friday, Friday morning? Friday morning. Okay. There's free bagels supplied and paid for by my department for my department. Okay. Today, toward the end of the day, the one who sat next to me came up because usually there it's an open floor plan for most of us. And then there's like offices around the outside, right, right, right. standard, you know, you know, early standard 21st century office <laughs> layout. Yes. Right. So the woman sits next to me, she was, so normally there, the bagels are out there, uh, against the wall, right across from, from my desk, um, you know, high traffic area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the woman sits next to me, came today, she's like, just so you know, tomorrow the bagels are going to be in so-and-so's office. And I was like, Oh, and she was like, yeah, uh, last week, so many non people who aren't from our department came into bagels that by 9am, which is technically what time work starts, they were already all half gone. Um, and I find this kind of funny, but also I don't, it's a bit Seinfeldian, I think, but it, here's my thing on the one hand, I don't care. I'm not going to complain about someone taking my free bagel. I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. It's a free bagel, right? I don't care. I don't care. If I show up and the bagel I want isn't there, I don't get a bagel. It's not the end of the world. I'm not like planning my Friday morning around the free bagel. <laughs> it's a perk. As somebody who <laughs> had, who gets free donuts at church uh, and really delicious coffee, uh, it's like a big part of it. Uh, there was a day that I was like late. I had <laughs> overslept. And so I was like, and Jen, Jen had helped them like set up. So she had gone earlier. And so I was like, oh shit, I'm, I'm late. And I thought like, it's like, well, I could probably still get coffee and donuts, but like, apparently everyone it was just very busy that day. So like all the donuts were gone. And so I was like, well, at least I can get coffee. But like all the creamer was gone. I was like, fuck. And I got so mad. I was like, I guess I'll just go into church and just listen to whatever this moron has to say. Except you're hungry and under, under caffeinated. Exactly. Um, although I can't drink coffee before I eat, I will get a stomach ache if I hmm. drink coffee in an empty stomach. Interesting. Um, anyway, I do that all the time. So anyway, here's, okay. so here's my thing. I, I don't really care, but also the gall, right? Yeah. A, a person like they're clearly for our department. Right. And being an open floor plan, there are clearly, there are other departments who occasionally will have bagels or cake or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, and I see it. I walk past it. I'm away to the bathroom or the, or the, yeah. or, or the, or the, the kitchen or whatever. And it would never even occur to me to no. grab one of their bagels. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even ask to me. It's like, eh, that's their department. Yeah. Like a case. Sometimes there will be a, a thing where they'll have had an event or a big like conference or whatever, and there'll be leftovers and they'll send an email out saying, Hey, there's cake. It'll be some, some other department just saying to everyone on the floor, like, Hey, there's cake in the kitchen. Even then I probably won't eat it, but like that would right. be okay. So I'm trying, I, I want to get your opinion. Like where I feel like I'm understanding and the listener's opinion. It's on the one hand, it is so stupid and like <laughs> just modern day, office worker bullshit to be all up in arms about someone taking our free bagels. On the other hand, 
it's the principle. people think they are. It's the principle of the right? thing. Like, whether you are specifically bothered is not the issue. It is for, you are there not as, as yourself. You are there as a representative of your department, as yeah. everybody else is. And as a representative of your department, what you want doesn't actually matter. There are bagels for you. Yeah. And you, as a representative of your department, is being, you are being deprived of them. And, and so, like, I, I walked, like, for some reason in the film department, it's like every other day, there's like a buffet of uh-huh. just, like, food because some, I don't know, the screenwriting department, it's never for the CMS, but, uh, like, the screenwriting department did have a, decided to have, like, a banquet or something. It's right there in the hallway. Uh-huh. And it's just, like, and they're clearly done, and nobody's around. And so it's just like, oh, and it's like those little, lun- little like, bags of chips and stuff. I was like, man, oh, that's sure. going to save me, a, like, a buck 25. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know what? I never, I've never grabbed it. Yeah. No one would notice, but I know I realize like that's not for me. Right. Yeah. You know, now don't get me wrong as someone who pays tuition and taxes. Uh, I could justify it, but I don't <laughs> on principle. That is your department. That belongs specifically to your department yeah. and they should not. I'm absolutely they, on board with your employ your, uh, coworkers. Hi, hi, essentially hiding the bagels in someone's office. Okay. You know what? Actually, I, yes, I, yes. Uh, um, but I, what I can't wait for is tomorrow morning when I'm eating my sesame seed bagel with cream cheese and someone from the apartment walks past and says, Hey, where's the bagels? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I can't wait for. <laughs> Your level of passivity in that in, every time you talk about work and it's also kind of funny that after all these years, you feel so free to talk about work on here because you know you have not told anybody <laughs> at work that this is who you are and what you do. It's not entirely true, actually. My my boss does listen to the show sometimes. Ooh, but I don't think I don't. Uh, uh, I, I don't think I've said anything problematic here. Harriet, get those fucking bagels worked out. All right. <laughs> Uh, I don't know your boss's name. I just took a guess. Yeah, it's not. It's not Harriet. I okay. don't think my boss uh, cares who eats the bagels. True. Um, but here's, it, here's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. This office thing's going to work for a while. Let's say about four weeks. You'll start to notice. Hey, wait a second. People are now from other places are now kind of rooting around looking <laughs> for these free bagels. Or maybe they ju- they might just assume that like oh they're not there anymore. Yeah, they stopped doing it. We killed the goose. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I mean, there's such a history with these bagels because I used to work at this company mm-hmm. in the past in a different department. I okay. worked there in one department. I left and worked another job for a while, and I came back and worked in the department that I'm in now for a long time. So I worked at this company before, and I worked on the same floor. This is how I got to know the people, how I ended up getting this job that I have mm-hmm. is because I got to know the people uh, in this department. I worked on the same floor as... Uh, 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 and it became a thing. Now, this is in a different building. Mm-hmm. My company has moved buildings since I started there. Um, and there, so the the bagels were more hidden, I guess. Mm-hmm. But those of us on the floor who knew we could go get bagels. But even then, there started to be a rule where you can't get bagels until 11 a.m. Unless you're in our, depart- our department. Mm-hmm. But that was enforceable then because yes. the way the old building was set up, you could keep people out. Yes. <laughs> you know, now it's an open, it's, it's chaos. Yeah. This is why this open floor plan, I understand why it looks nicer mm-hmm. than, you know, you walk into the one that's old, it's just like a cubicle farm. Like yeah. I understand that looks dehumanizing and Kafkaesque, but it's actually more humanizing because you get some privacy. Yeah. Um, uh, and so it's good. This is just a case in point that the uh, open floor plan uh, trend in 
offices is uh, is faulty, and uh, that way lies entropy. Is it weird that I've always wanted to work in a cubicle? But like, not for my entire life, obviously. But there is just something very appealing about working in a cubicle to me. Hmm. I don't know why, but that's. I think is it's it the same like instinct. Being uh, bundled like a baby, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you just want to be. I think it's also the uh, this the weird instinct I have that I want to stay at every hotel or motel or in in the world. Mm-hmm. And I also, if I see a, uh, this might be a little bit genuinely OCD. If I'm walking in a park and I see a park bench, I will want to sit on it. If only for a moment, because someone thought to put that there (laughs) and I'm going to use it (laughs) on principle just to justify the decision that they made. That's funny. But anyway, Um, uh, by the way, I just remembered I have four, sorry. Four movies. Okay. That's fine. Um, we'll figure that out. Um, you can uh, end with two. Okay. All right. Um, you know they. Uh, okay, we'll we'll get to movies in a second. But speaking of my work and benches, they added new bus benches. Okay. At the stop closest to my work, but they also changed the bus route so fewer buses stop there. It's really. It seems like the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing there <laughs> because because they're extending. Uh, this will be. If for people who care, this will be some clue as to what area of town I work in. They're extending the purple line. Mm. And so they've moved the express route bus, which is the one that I take, stop away from that corner because that corner is where the purple line's gonna be, so they don't I right. guess they wanna spread it out more or whatever. Um so now only the regular bus, oh. the number twenty, stops at that stop, and the seven twenty stops three blocks the other way and two blocks one way, but they added two new park two new bus stop benches. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. All right. Uh it's like it's like when uh like when Kramer turned the 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 four-lane highway into a two-lane highway like you know, so it's like, "Oh my gosh, these lanes are so luxurious." And like, we've got these park benches and they're all ours. Like no <laughs> no one from that oh, that express bus is going to bother us. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um Okay, let's get started with the movies. I watched, uh, again, just like last week, this is all 2017 stuff, pretty much, that I'm just catching up on. Yeah, it is all 2017 stuff that I'm catching up on. Or one is a movie that came out this week, but it, anyway. Whatever, not important. All right, so I watched Joachim uh, Trier's Thelma. Oh, okay. Um, this is a Norwegian movie. Um been meaning meaning to see it i heard good things it was at afi fest this year i heard good things i remember uh back this was months and months ago now but when you uh i can't remember where you were at the time it wasn't your asia trip it was before that but i did an episode with amanda where we talked about scandinavian movies oh yes i don't recall where i was yeah i can't remember where you were um but uh uh so i'm always in the mood for you know always up for more scandinavian movies even though i thought Joachim Trier's last movie, the English language movie, Louder Than Bombs, was just all right. It was mostly just, uh, uh, this would be an inside joke for you and me, but it was just another sad white guy movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, <there we> go. <laughs> but, uh, but it starred Gabriel Byrne, which is like, if you're going to have a sad white guy in your movie, Absolutely. at least, yeah, get the best. Um, <laughs> is he the best sad man? Yeah. He's pretty mournful. I mean, he's I, Irish. I, I think I guess in general, the Irish thing, yeah. like, uh, yeah. I mean, even the least sad Irish guy is high on the set. <laughs> That's true. Um, anyway, um, so no, th- but this movie, Thelma, is more of uh, it's more supernatural in that it is supernatural. Uh, a lot of a lot of the bombs wasn't. Um, it's sort of basically it's about a girl 
uh, going off to uh, to college and discovering that she has some sort of superpowers that she didn't know about and cannot control um, and uh, that are pretty terrifying. Um, And so it's kind of an X-Men type of thing, but it's not executed in that way at all. This is a <laughs> executed. Yeah. I see what you <laughs> try to give me a look. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very internal. It's very psychological. Um, it's very much a drama with, you know, supernatural sci-fi horror fantasy elements just bare, just peeking in, you know I mean? And sometimes they're, you know, uh, there, there are dream sequences and, and stuff that are, uh, way out there, but mostly it's kind of a, uh, a, a very scary in a not in a boo type scary way mm-hmm. but in an unsettling way a scary coming of age story mm-hmm. um and i don't want to give too much away but i do want to recommend it to you for more than one lesson i know you get this all the time yeah um, that's okay though but i really was fascinated by this movie's because the family that she comes from is a very devoutly Christian family. Mm. And I was really fascinated by the way that the, the, what I took to be the movie's sort of message or, or, or point of view on that, which is that I think, I think the movie treats their beliefs with complete respect. I don't think it looks down at all at them, but I do think it has something to say about the way that a child in a, not just Christian, in a religious upbringing can potentially be, stifled or blocked off from being able to discover or express their true self that there's something you know i think about like i was raised by uh catholics Mm -hmm. and republicans that's what they were yeah i was way more comfortable even eager to tell my family i wasn't a republican Hmm. than i like i still don't like in front of my mom i still don't really use the word atheist or like directly i mean i think she knows but i don't like to directly address the fact that i don't believe in god yeah sorry like, i worked that into my best man speech <laughs> oh yeah well, I, I thought that was funny actually um but um like for some reason that like the the religious beliefs of your family are harder to question than other beliefs i think for a lot of people um and i think there's a there's a sort of metaphor going on here about how um and again, I think it does a good job of walking line and not in any way condemning their beliefs, yeah. but just saying this girl needs to go out on her own. And, um, it's the Amish it, thing. And she, whatever you call yeah, that. She, yeah. And she isn't able, she wasn't able to until, <laughs> until college to go and actually yeah. discover herself. Well, and I think and that's it's scary. It's why you run across. It's weird. I feel like, I think I was extremely fortunate with the family that I, grew up with. Um, I feel like my parents, despite being, you know, Christian, we went to church several times a week, um, which is say twice on Sunday, one on Wednesday. And the Wednesday was like just youth group stuff. Why did you go twice on Sunday? There's the morning service and the evening service. What do you do in between? Like, how do you, I I take a long nap. I would sleep for like three hours. It was the best. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's your whole Sunday there. It is. Cause you can't plan something in between really no you really right? can't yeah. it really bummed me it really bummed me out uh and then like and then that drive home from church was always like oh school's tomorrow and i don't even i didn't even get all of sunday night anyway but you know some of my best friends were at church so i just looked at it that way but anyway um so like you know we we went a lot um 
but I think my parents were usually pretty okay with like expressing doubt and that sort of thing. However, where I think I, I would agree with maybe certain sentiments of the film is that like the more I think about it and I'm sure some people had a really great experience, but I don't know many. The more I think about it, the more I feel like a church youth group is just, I've grown tired of the word toxic, but I'll just say detrimental uh-huh. um, because you're bringing in all of just the standard society, high school and middle school societal bullshit and then putting a, a religious and dogmatic stamp on it. Mm-hmm. And it just like it alienates so many people and they feel like they cannot be themselves because except now there's like a moral thing brought into it. Uh, and so that's why I think you get so many people who like turn away from it in college because they're away from this. They can express themselves. And in their, and in their view, like there's a, there's a, a connection between, well, if I can't express myself and be this thing, otherwise they would have been okay with that. Like, so I guess I'm just rejecting this. Um, it's, it's not unlike that one listener who emailed me a long time ago that like he was so into movies and his religious community was mm-hmm. so not into movies that he felt like, well, maybe I'm not a Christian because I like movies so much. Right. Um, but yeah, so it is, it's something I am fascinated with listeners. If you went, if you were in a youth group and it was a great experience, good for you. I made really, I made very good friends, but I, I'm still dealing with some shit in therapy that was told to me by like the, the people in charge. So, um, I remember one of, uh, uh, weirdly all my life I've been like close friends with people who were Christians and like, I mean, I don't just mean that they went to church, like people like yeah. you, who, or at least who came from families. Because one of my best friend in middle school, we went to we went to different schools because he went to the Lutheran school, but he lived like two doors down from me. So he was my best friend in middle school, and his um, parents were very active in in, yeah. in the church, and they were a very religious family. And I remember once always hammering stuff into your door. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I remember once he was like he was like arguing. I was over at his house and he was arguing with his parents about the music he was listening to. They didn't like Kurt Cobain or whatever. They didn't like, uh, um, yeah, they they were making him like take down a poster. And I remember him saying like, if they just weren't into all this God stuff, (laughs) 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 I always think about that. Um, because it was like, it I wasn't like, until, I like the uh, the cadence to it. Really, yeah. <laughs> really it's a very fits. middle school thing. Yeah, I feel like it wasn't until we were so off track. But uh, I think what there's a lot. It wasn't until like high school, probably like my sophomore year of high school, that it occurred to me that people my age, my age, actually like cared like we're actual believers like right. i think because i always started because of my experiences with my neighbor like i always thought like that's something you get into when you're an adult you know that's a grown-up thing i go and i'm i just i'm just assuming because my parents they're grown and they actively care about going to church they believe this stuff i'm assuming that's just something i'll grow into yeah and it, and i think i remember one time like knowing another one of my friends yeah who was um uh, also a Lutheran. I knew a lot of Lutherans, apparently. Um, we were listening to like some punk rock stuff and I was like, oh, but you know, and then there was some, you know, a lot of punk rock is very, uh, um, pointedly anti, uh, religion. And so I said, I made some like joke, like thing about it, like, uh, I bet your parents would hate this. And he was like, uh, I'm not 
nuts about it either. And I was like, Oh, like it's like in 14 years old, I was like, or 15 or whatever. I was like, Oh, you actually care. This isn't just a thing that's been, I'd say at uh, 15, it starts to solidify like in middle school. Like I cared to the extent, I cared to the extent that I was able and I understood it to the extent that I was able, but I don't think it becomes a, you know, in middle school, you're starting to become who you are. And certain things are starting to, to materialize. And I, so I feel like for me, yeah, like I believed in middle school, but really only like when I probably turned 15 or 16 to become like a real thing for me. So like once I, I, I think an argument probably could be made that once you become, once you really start moving into adulthood, then I think it does become a very real thing for you. All right, so that's our discussion of Thelma. Yeah. <laughs> um, but seriously, no, do check out uh, Thelma. It's really unsettling. It's really, and it's also, uh, I, I think I've said this before, that like as uh, as digital effects become more affordable, you mm-hmm. know, a movie like this, it's like a you know a small, intimate, you know, character based movie can yeah. also have some really cool looking shit going on. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, right. somebody just, uh, somebody that I was having dinner with yesterday, our friend, uh, Joel, who's helped us out with uh-huh. the, uh, commentaries. He was talking about how much he loved Thelma. Uh, all right. Moving on to a more overt horror movie, uh, that's coming out on Netflix. I think tomorrow, probably by, I'm sure by the time you're hearing it, it's already out. Uh, David Bruckner's the ritual. Um, this is, uh, David Bruckner is a guy who's, he made one of the short films in VHS. He also made one of the short films in Southbound, which I never saw. Um, and this is, I guess, his first real like feature-length uh, movie, um, and unfortunately, it just feels. I, I mentioned this in my review when I when I went to write my review and I looked at the notes I'd taken during the screening. My notes were essentially just a list of the movies that. I felt this reminded me of. Yeah. I, I feel like the movie ends better up movies. Being, yeah, and it ended up just being a collection of references without actually getting any deeper <laughs> into them. The premise is that uh, uh, five, well, initially five uh, guys, five uh, mates from uni. This is a British movie. You um, don't say. Despite it, uh, Derek Bruckner's an American director, but it's a British movie. Um, uh, are planning a lad's holiday. Um, uh, and you know, some of them want to go to Vegas and some of them want to go to Ibiza. And then one of them's like, let's go hiking. Uh, and, um, and then two of them, one, uh, Rafe Spall and another one, uh, stop into a liquor store to get a bottle for, for the night while they're planning this. And they walk into the middle of a holdup and the other guy, not Rafe Spall, the other guy is killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they end, they end up deciding to go on the hike because that's what he wanted to do. So sort of as a tribute, they go on this hike uh, in Sweden. And second day out, uh, one of the guys um, hurts his knee. So they need to try to get back to the lodge um, quicker. So they decide instead of taking the hiking trail, let's just cut through the forest. Well, bad idea. Yeah. Because, of course, uh, Blair Witch style, there's something in the forest. Uh, Blair Witch is... Not the not the only movie that this is, yeah. uh, uh, you know, ripping off. I think with the recent tragedy in the background, it's also I don't know, ripping off is a mean thing to say, but I do feel like it's informed it, by. It's informed by without having anything new. You know, it's not like a yeah 
Quentin Tarantino type of like pastiche where he's like bringing, you know, rearranging things and bringing something new into them. It just seems like I watched a bunch of good movies and now I made my own movie that's kind of like them, but you don't have anything to say about it. Anyway, so there's the the setup's kind of the descent. That's exactly what I was about to say with the recent tragedy. It's the descent. It's also being all male. It's also very deliverance. Okay. Um, so much so the four guys like, could you you can map them one to one like like uh you've got your your john voigt character who's like uh kind of the lead but also kind of like uh more in you know uh introverted mm-hmm. you've got your burt reynolds character the wannabe alpha male you've got your doughy comic relief who ends up bearing the brunt of the the punishment which is the mm-hmm. ned Beatty character and you've got the nice go with the flow guy who suffers for it as well which is the ronnie cox character mm-hmm. um uh deliverance is such a great movie by the way i still haven't seen uh, it it's so good um i put it in the con in in, in the company I, I talked about this on twitter because i was thinking about this movie a lot this week um there's certain movies uh, that we've talked about like rocky like saturday night fever like planet of the apes yeah. that have a cultural reputation that does a disservice i think to the quality of the movie because yeah. you think like squeal like a pig doing banjos yeah. yeah exactly that that sort of thing like I, I, so i feel like it it's because deliverance has become such a comedy reference that I don't think people give it a chance or remember that it's actually a fucking masterpiece of a movie. Hmm. Um, who is that? John Borman? Uh, yeah. John Borman. Yeah. The great John Borman. Um, uh, who also made Excalibur, which is also right. a masterpiece anyway. Um, uh, and also featured Gabriel Byrne anyway. Uh, so yeah, the ritual, uh, yeah. And there's, there's, there's more movies that I, uh, that I think it references, but really it's just, it's, it's perfectly well, like competently mounted and the performances are really solid, but it doesn't seem to have anything of its own to say. Yeah. Um, there's one kind of cool set piece near the end that I don't want to get into. Um, but it basically, he stumbles upon sort of a, uh, a profane mockery of a, chapel and altar um with some really creepy shit going on um and that's that's interesting but it's too it's too little too late by then uh all right you've got uh sorry did you want to do two now or two at the end uh i'll do two at the end okay so you um okay so boy i wish you talked about thelma second because this would have been a really nice transition i watched a document okay all right yeah yeah (laughs) we'll fix it in post um the uh, I watched a documentary called Chris Claremont's X Men. Oh, I've heard of this. Um, now, my friend Ian was tweeting about this. Yeah, I mean, it's here. Here's the thing: is I'm not much of a comic book person now, uh, and if you were to ask me to name noted comic book authors, I would say Alan Moore, Frank Miller. That's probably the end of it. <laughs> but one name I do actually know is Chris Claremont because I was a Wolverine guy and an X-Men guy growing up. And so it was a documentary all about uh, his contribution to X-Men, which is to say his his making of X-Men. Mm-hmm. The original X-Men from the 60s, you had your five and it was just kind of, it was sort of a, a little brother comic book. Like it had its fans. Um but then when, I mean, Chris Claremont, like Wolverine, Wolverine had existed before, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, we can bring him into this. And then like Colossus, Nightcrawler, like all these characters that are now like a big deal in the X-Men what universe. years was this? This is a mid seventies, early seventies. Okay. And so he just kind of reinvented it completely. 
realizing, well, I can still keep some of these old villains around and some of the heroes and just do different things. But like, you know, he turned it into a bit soap operatic at times. There would be entire issues of the comic book that had nothing that had no action at all. But but people loved it because it was, because the characters are so strong. And so, and X-Men just took off and Wolverine especially, but it took off and like, and so Marvel was saying like, Hey, we need you to, we we need more X-Men comics. So that's where you had like, the new mutants, which allowed him to experiment with some things. Cause it wasn't strictly speaking X-Men, but it was still mutants and such. Um, and, uh, it's really, it's, it's an interesting documentary. I wouldn't say it's made particularly well. It's, it feels like a featurette. Uh, mm-hmm. It feels like a feature length featurette <laughs> right. on a DVD. Um, but it's informative. Um, you know, like I knew that he was, like, if you'd asked me, I'd say, like, oh, yeah, Chris Claremont. Like, he wrote a lot of Wolverine in the uh, 80s. I, and I think I knew that he was associated with uh, X-Men. But I did not know that he essentially just owned that comic for, like, 20 years. Wow. Um, and so it's interesting uh, if you, you know, Ian being a comic book guy, it doesn't mm-hmm. surprise me that he, that he knew about it. Um, I guess it's worth seeking out only if you find this type of thing interesting. Uh but from a filmmaking standpoint, it is functional at best. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple documentaries. Okay. One, oh, I'm, there's a, okay. So, you know, there's a, we talked about it with Lady Bird. It happened this week with Black Panther. There's the, the movie that has 100% Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And then someone comes along and spoils it. Um, if I were a Rotten Tomatoes critic, I would have been that guy for this movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> because currently... The documentary The Work has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and I couldn't stand this movie. Really? Could not stand it. Everything um, I had heard about it, not merely that it was good, but that the, the concept is so solid. Well, and here's what, here's what I felt lied to okay. about the concept. Because the Explain concept, the, yeah, yeah. The concept I, I understand it is that uh, at Folsom Prism, there are weekly therapy sessions, and then mm-hmm. once or twice a year, they do weekend long or long, you know, four day long intensive. Um, uh, group therapy where men uh, from the outside world, civilians or whatever, you know, non uh, convicts can yeah. come in and participate. Um, call them non <laughs> That's not what they say in the movie. <laughs> uh, we, should, we should run that past them. Here's what I felt lied to. And maybe it's just me being such a like by the book type of guy who trusts experts. This isn't real therapy. Oh, okay. I mean, there's one, one of the founders of the guy is, of the program is a licensed psychologist. He's the only psychologist on the premises, even though they're all these guys broken into small groups. It, it feels more, the movie I compare it to a much better movie. I would compare I, that. I compare it to is, uh, Joe Berlinger's, uh, Tony Robbins documentary. Oh, I am okay. not your guru, except I am not your guru is so fascinating because it walks the line of saying these emotions, these people are feeling these breakthroughs, they they're happening are clearly real. This mm-hmm. is clearly real shit, but also allowing you, if you want to, to question the methodology. Sure. The work is so convinced that almost, it, it, it almost plays like an infomercial for participating in this thing. It has no room for questioning at all. It's all mm. about, isn't this powerful? These things that are happening with the, is there the a religious component? To uh, it? no, hmm. But the the entire time I'm thinking like this, I, I don't trust that 
quote unquote breakthroughs that happen in this, uh, you know, crazy environment, this four day intensive group thing. I don't trust that these are going to stick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a reason that we generally do therapy for 50 minutes a week. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They, they didn't come up with that uh, out, of, out of the blue. Like it's, uh, it, you know, as someone who has, uh, I'm not currently in therapy. I spent years in therapy and um, attribute a lot of my current uh, mental well being and happiness to those, those, those years I spent there. Um, I, I felt the whole time I was just like, I kept like grabbing my forehead or being like, who is, overseeing this who is you know yeah. there's like one licensed person who's a retired psychologist um uh and is also well, i don't mean this is a combination but he's also the director's father that's the reason the director has this okay. access or whatever yeah, it is yeah. because this program was co-founded by his his father i don't mean that as a criticism it's just worth worth noting um uh and then there's also one certified anger management counselor there who like, and I think this is insane. They left it in the movie, like who snaps at somebody. (laughs) Um, uh, And and I just, maybe I'm just too much of a true believer in traditional therapy by, you know, your licensed clinicians. Yeah. uh, To believe that this essentially self-help type stuff is, uh, is, 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 and I don't say, I, I really want to step lightly here because I don't want to say it's not valid because I don't, I don't believe anyone here is being performative. I believe they all believe and feel right. the things that they're saying and feeling. I just don't think that it's, uh, that, that it's healthy. It's, it sort of, it seems to me like, you know, going on a binge diet before you have to, you know, uh, wear a, a suit in front of a bunch of people or a dress or whatever, you know, that's like, it's going to work in the short term, but is that going to, you know, it's not a healthy long-term choice. I think, I think you wondering like if it's going to stick, I think that's the key. It is sincere in the moment and it might be very real in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might be like, and if this person were then, this sounds a little dehumanizing, but like if this person were then handed off to a professional, right. Then like they can help contextualize what just happened. But yeah, it definitely feels having not, seen the film like i think these breakthroughs can happen like with just like if you're talking to a friend or something like that but even in that situation you do see the friend probably pretty regularly yeah and you can kind of follow up on that but even that friend if they're any kind of friend at all would say like hey i think this is beyond me right. and i think yeah. you should see a, a therapist or something yeah. so and i want to clarify i'm talking more when i'm talking about these breakthroughs i'm talking more about the men the the non-vix to use your term yeah. because the 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 there are some definitely some uh, i keep using the term breakthrough i know that's like it seems like a corny like uh word but i'm not sure what the term is um there are some on behalf of the prisoners. most of the prisoners have been doing this for years this isn't their first uh intensive weekend yeah. thing Um, and they also have the weekly therapy sessions with at least one psychologist Mm -hmm. there. It's more about these, the, the civilians who come in and, and, uh, have these incredible breakthroughs where they're whatever, you know, they're, uh, reconciling their feelings about their father, you Mm -hmm. know, it's powerful stuff, I, I guess, but I couldn't get into it because I think it's, uh, built on, uh, uh, shaky ground so interesting the documentaries maybe more so than 
narrative films do that that like if i'm not on board with the thing being documented like i kind of feel like i have no choice but to take it out on the film uh-huh. um and i <laughs> yeah, know that it's yeah. uh, I, I don't think i don't know if that's fair or not i mean but I, I, I think it i mean it depends on how the movie's made because i again i'll go back to i am not your guru the tony robbins yeah. documentary which i don't remember if you ever saw i, I didn't i raved about it in fact i think it made Later tonight, we're going to be doing our 2017 Through the Cracks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, highlighting movies that we think uh, deserve more attention. I think it was on my 2016 Through the Cracks list. You did talk about it a lot. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think that's the perfect example of, uh, of of a movie that that allows you to decide how you feel about the thing. Okay. All right. Uh, another documentary I saw is really good, and I think it's going to be opening wider. Um, uh Although, I mean, my, I went, you know, granted I went to a Tuesday night screening, but it was me and one other guy in the entire theater. But, uh, this documentary is called shot in the dark. Um, which another thing against it is if you go to IMDb, there's like three yeah. 2017 shot in the darks. Oh, wow. <laughs> like there's like a, a Netflix series apparently. Cause there are so many Netflix series that you've never heard of. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another documentary or another movie at least called shot in the dark, uh, in 2017. But this one, wouldn't it be funny if some of those didn't actually lead to anything. It was just a graphic, <laughs> yeah. but they, they know it's like, look, there's so much, we're going to, we're going to play the odds and say that no one's going to click on this, but it looks like we've got a lot of stuff. Um, uh, but this one is a, uh, very hoop dreams esque. It is a documentary about a Chicago basketball, like high school basketball player. Um, or I guess I feel like they set out to make a documentary about the team and mm-hmm. found this one story and sort of, so this guy, um, Taekwon, uh, Taekwon Greer, um, becomes the the focus mostly because he's at the beginning of the movie. I think he's sort of the um, second biggest star on the team, but then the biggest star uh, gets uh, a, a year in, a year in prison. Oh my! Um, for because um, I guess he's eighteen, so um, and there's something uh, about possessing a firearm illegally or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Taekwon sort of becomes the 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 star of the team he's being scouted meanwhile his mom who he lives with and has a great relationship with has to basically leave chicago because she doesn't have any work and her family lives in mississippi and she can find work there so he's staying with friends and relatives bouncing mm-hmm. around while being the star of the team um and then um uh, i guess this is a bit of a i'm not sure I, i've always feel weird about spoilers for documentaries because this was like uh, you know, this really happened and it was on sports center or whatever. But then like right before they went to the playoffs, he was at a party where he got shot in the leg. Oh my. Um, and so the second half now, of the movie really is how well lit was this party. <laughs> we aren't there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, at the, yeah, the cameras were not at the party at the okay. time. Um, uh, so it's, uh, it's, a it, it's a really good, uh, really well made, uh, very humanistic documentary about, um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, talk. I mean, we, I, I definitely thought of, uh, Spike Lee's Chirac because mm-hmm. this is very much about how dangerous certain parts of, um, South and West Chicago are. Mm-hmm. The, the movie takes place in West, West Chicago. Um, and how like gang affiliation is, a sort of, you know, survival method in some, yeah. in some ways and how, and just how, uh, the Taekwondo is also a very, uh, uh, 
super, uh, smart guy and talks about, um, um, I almost like, I, I, I feel like you can't as a white guy, I can't say he's articulate because that's like a whole oh, thing sure. about yeah, like yeah. white guys saying that about black yeah. guys is like a, a damning with faint praise or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, literally he articulates, you can say it about a young kid, a young person. <laughs> I just don't mean he speaks, you know, yeah. clearly or whatever. I mean, right. he articulates things about Chicago, uh, very well. And he's talking about, um, how segregated Chicago is. And he starts talking mm-hmm. about how, you know, racially segregated but then he talked about in his own neighborhood it's segregated by gangs like you Hmm. if you live in these blocks you don't go to those blocks um uh and and so i think um it kind of i guess reminded me of uh in a way i'm you know much uh grimmer and obviously realistic being a documentary but a a sort of um like the florida project in that it's about real people living day by day and having good times and scary times in intense poverty and really dangerous situations. And people, uh, you know, people get shot and uh, all the time and there are guns and there's crime and there's violence. Uh, but also there's, you know, making dinner at home with your, with your mom or, you know, the, uh, the, the, the coach, the high school basketball coach, uh, who's almost as big a part of like a big a focus as Taekwon. Um, he has his own health problems. Uh, it's a really, it's just a really great humanistic snapshot of, um, you know, it's not about, it's not like the evening news expose about like how rough life is. It's about life in a place that most of us are lucky enough to not have to think about that often. Hmm. Anyway, shot in the dark. I think it's going to open wider. Chance the Rapper is a producer, so I think hopefully that'll get it some attention. Okay. Um, you at least know who Chance the Rapper is. Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> Can you guess what he does for a living? <laughs> I'm going to go the other way, and I'm going to say he plays at Games of Chance. Um no, did you? I, I, you're like me. You don't really watch Saturday Night Live at all. No, but he um, hosted Saturday Night Live, uh, even though he's a rapper. Oh, wow. he also okay. Hosted. Um, I guess he and he did. It's a big it, deal then. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, well, President Obama's a big fan. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, uh, he hosted and they did a, a, a sketch where he was. Um, it was supposed to be ESPN or whatever. This is because I'm a hockey guy. Like this sketch was all over like the Twitter feeds that I follow. Um, he's like the basketball guy, but like the on I like ice, like ice level hockey correspondent is on paternity leave. And so they have a <laughs> chance that ever covering, funny. covering hockey. And so all he keeps talking about is like, I'm so cold. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, it's, that's uh, funny. Yeah. Um, it's a very funny sketch, but it reminded me of the uh, SNL's earlier black guys aren't hockey fans sketch. Uh, weekend. There was, uh, I don't remember um, when there were, you know, multiple times over the history of hockey of NHL, there, there have been lockouts where the game hasn't been going on. Mm-hmm. And Tim Meadows was a correspondent. He was as Tim Meadows, who was <laughs> the joke was just that he was passionate about the fact that there was no hockey and he really <laughs> wanted hockey back. Uh, and he was like, uh, the thing I always remember is Tim Meadows going, there are three things that bother me. Racism, sexism, and no hockey. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're way off track. That's funny. Uh, all right. So um, I saw 
Ryan Coogler's Black Panther, uh, which uh, doesn't come out for another week, I think, right? I don't think it's this weekend. I think it's next weekend. Okay. Yeah, that's why I thought we were sorry referencing an on off mic conversation. Mm-hmm. The reason I thought you'd seen it earlier than you had is because uh, I thought it was coming out tomorrow. Ah, uh, you knew out. that I was seeing it the week before it came out. Yes, and you thought I, it was this week. I, so I thought you saw it last week. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. It. Uh, it's honestly, I'll say this, like a little a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, the Marvel screenings that I go to, they're always on a Monday night. But they're usually the week of, um, yeah. which is very strange. So I'm not sure if they're trying to build word of mouth. I don't think they need it. It's going to be a very popular film. Yeah. Um, so I, did you see Creed? I forget. Uh, no, I never did. Okay. I, I saw Fruitvale Station. Yes. I've seen, yeah, I, I've saw both of those. I'm, I love Creed. I think it's really a beautifully directed film. Um, and there's a lot of that. You know, in my review, I use the word virtuosic. There's a there's a there's a real fluidity to the way he directs action, and there are moments. There's a scene that uh, is very James Bondy, uh, and it's and he does kind of a one take kind of thing that mm. doesn't. And you know that is a thing that bothers me sometimes because mm-hmm. it can be really self conscious, and it didn't feel like that. Um, so on that on, on the level of of action, it's a it's a effective movie it's perfectly fine unsurprisingly not that visually interesting some 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 music that you know that takes place in africa and so like the music has a certain quality to it but i feel like if you steer too much into it it sounds almost patronizing mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like oh, yeah, if you yeah. use like bongo drums or something um and so uh right like if the uh if the iron fist theme song was like exactly yes um (laughs) think how funny that would be if it's like yeah we didn't cast an asian guy and i know that iron fist isn't actually asian but like we didn't do that but we do have this (laughs) right that's how you like that right (laughs) Right. um and we've got some confucius statements in here anyway uh but yeah, and then I think the the cast is is really great. Um, I think by and large, it, it does something that I think is very, very important in the MCU, which is, you know, people talk about world building, but I also think like you need to think in terms of world expanding. And on Earth, like we've mostly been in the U.S. unless they like go on a on a mission somewhere else. But then they come back to New York. And what I like is seeing like a whole other place that just does its own thing and is thinking like, ah, should we get involved? Should we not get involved? Ah, we're just going to keep to ourselves. And it's just neat to see like in this alternate version of Earth, what does it look like to witness these things from afar and, and know that you're in no danger at all of it coming your way. So I like that uh, quite a bit. Um, I do think I don't blame Chadwick Boseman for this. I think the lead character is a little bland and a little vague. Um, he is just, he is heroic. He's good at fighting. And, uh, occasionally he has some moments of self doubt, but it just didn't, it just doesn't feel totally lived in. Um, I'm not sure if they quite knew what to do with the character, but 
Marvel having something of a, you know, Marvel's had a villain problem for a long time where the villains are just like super generic. Uh, here, Michael B. Jordan plays a character that is extremely specific. His story is specific. His motivations are very specific. And the performance is just like seething with rage. Uh, Understandable when you hear what happens to him. Uh, And I I don't think it's a mistake that like the character is as effective as he is. Because a lot of there's a lot of parallels between what motivates him and what motivates uh, Magneto from X-Men, which is, you know, one of the best uh, who's one of like the best villains ever created. And so uh, it's always nice to see Michael B. Jordan. And I think he does a great job. Uh, It's a movie that I would that I would recommend. It's it's not super groundbreaking, but I think it does what it needed to do, which is set up a new franchise, which is the Black Panther franchise, but also add to the larger MCU. So I enjoyed it. Um, speaking of Marvel's villain problem, uh, the other, the other day, uh, the Super Bowl was on television. I was at a, at a bar watching it. Um, and I, uh, you know, I've gotten up on my high horse for years. I don't really watch the commercials, okay. but I, uh, uh, and especially at a bar, I wasn't listening anyway, but I looked up, uh, and I guess it was an infinity war, spot or whatever and i saw loki and i was just thinking like like this is indicative of marvel's villain problem that they keep around the one good villain that they've come up with they they, keep putting him they keep cramming him into movies right killed all the other ones that's the problem (laughs) like no 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 you're not thinking this guy's working. Keep him around. Who else is good? Who else is a good villain? I like Ultron. I think he's actually... Yeah, you're, you and I are in the minority there. I know. I don't get it, though. Yeah, I I've think never gotten what people don't like about Age of Ultron. Uh, yeah, um, so I, I like him. I think Red Skull was really good. Okay. Um, never saw that one. Played by Hugo Weaving. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. And the fact that they don't like... Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of like... Spoilers, I guess, for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I think Kurt Russell's pretty good, uh, is a pretty good villain. But I think he works um, thematically very well for yes. what the movie is is saying. But yeah, I'm not sure that he's a... Any he's of their, not exactly an all-timer. He's no Hans Gruber. No, any of their any of their cosmic villains wind up just being the same thing over oh, and Lee over. Oh, Lee Pace was... The, I mean, and I love Lee Pace yeah. as an actor. Yeah. Uh, but there was... Yeah. That was the, he's most, the, guy he was the most interchangeable... He's interchangeable with Christopher Eccleston and Thor, the dark world. They're the exact same type of character. Um, so yeah, it's, and honestly, I hate to say it, but like, uh, Kate Blanchett and Thor Ragnarok, like, you know, well, it's, Oh, it's a female and she's very powerful and she does seem to have this revenge plot going, but she's just as generic as all, as all the rest. I do think that they've done pretty well with the Iron Man villains. Like there's a real nice specificity to Jeff Bridges character, Sam Rockwell's character could have probably could have done more with Guy Pierce, but, uh, hmm. like there, Oh, Michael Keaton's really good. in uh, Spider-Man, but, uh, Spider-Man homecoming as the, the vulture. Oh, I, I, I didn't see that, but I forget that that's an MCU movie. Yeah, I know. It's, I forgot that that, and it's a recent one. Like yeah. when talking about them last year, uh, or the year before, no, wait, Spider-Man was last year, right? Well, it's 2017. It, it wasn't in the last five weeks. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> well, yes. Five weeks well, into 2018, which I, and I still don't think of it as 2018. I uh, when I say last year, I mean 2016 and I gotta, I gotta get over that. But, um, there are good villains, but I feel like, yeah, Loki's the only one that has like really stuck around. And I guess just because maybe because he's uh, like a cosmic villain so they can have him. And because he's, there's 
some pathos to the character. I don't know. I can't quite figure it out. Like villains, I hate to say it, they're not, I feel like they can't be that hard to create. <laughs> like think of some of the best villains ever. It's just, you know, you have them do these terrible things, put an interesting philosophy behind it and maybe a bit of a, of history. Like if Batman, the animated series could do it week after week. Yeah. Like, well, there has to be something alluring about them. That's the, yeah. the, 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 that's why Hans Gruber works. That's why Loki works is yeah. that we kind of like them. Yeah, exactly. Know? And that's, yeah, the Batman rose gallery is full of speaking. Of, I know we're not talking about, uh, I've been reading um, uh, the trade paperbacks of Scott Snyder's uh, Batman from the New 52, like 2011 okay. on. I've read the first seven of ten trade paperbacks. Um, this shit is so good. <laughs> I know there are comic fans out there who are like, yeah, we knew this you know, five years ago. But uh, Scott Snyder, I think, deserves to be, I'm, I'm sure among Batman fans already is, but he deserves to be talked about as one of the guys who really gets Batman and really gets uh, the Joker uh, as well. Well, and there is a, uh, I think this, the little, well, I don't know if you'd call it a mini series or whatever, but there was a run called the war of jokes and riddles in which the Riddler and the Joker fight each other. Mm. And, and like the various villains of Gotham kind of make their alignment based on who they think is going to win. Uh, and so there's this, like this, this big thing. And it's apparently like early in Batman's like career as Batman career is not probably not the right word, but, um, what is this from? It's, I think it's like the new 52 thing. I think it came out last, like in 2017. Oh, I think, okay. they, ju- I think new, they just finished a it. new run. Then, uh, okay. Um, yeah, because now, because New 52 is old, now there's Rebirth. Oh, okay, I guess maybe it's that, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Chris Claremont uh, did, wrote X-Men, that's what I know. <laughs> all right, um, all right, let's move on. My last two, I've, I've noticed I'm doing these in chunks of two, and each time there's one I like and one I don't, and that's going to be the same here. Okay, hang on, I want to make sure. So you've got two. And then you should then, have two. Right. Right. Yes. Okay. Got okay. Um, so first, I'll start off with the one I liked, uh, uh, and this one just I think is just going to miss the cut of not being in the through the cracks uh, episode because it did get a lot of play among British critics. It's a British mm-hmm. film um, called God's Own Country. Okay. Um, and I think there's uh, um, th- there's a couple ways you could sum this up kind of pithily as being like the uh, British Brokeback Mountain mm-hmm. or um, someone else, a review I read, referred to it as a working class call me by your name. Um, and it is those things, but it's uh, I, I hate to describe it that because it sounds like I'm putting it in a little box. It's right. it's a it's a really fantastic, um, really unflinching and heartfelt movie. Uh, basically, the main character is this guy, Johnny. Um, he's college age sorry uni age but he hasn't gone off to uni um because his uh he his parents own a farm and his father played by uh ian hart oh all right um, yeah uh i'm a fan uh has had a stroke and so basically they need him to help run the farm so all whatever friends he had have gone off he's a miserable person he does his work grudgingly and then gets blackout drunk every night um and then they hire a farmhand um, for a week because they have some extra work they need to fix a fence sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so this Romanian guy um, named Georgi uh, works on the farm and uh, at first Johnny's a total dick to him but then, of course, um, as you probably guessed from my Broken Mountain and Call Me By Your Name references, yeah. they... Uh, have, they make it work. <laughs> yeah, they find a way to make it work. Um, 
uh, and I think it, it's so the movie's a, a, a beautiful, you know, love story and all that, but it really is more about um, what sets it apart. I, not that it makes it better than Broken Mountain and Cogwright Name because those are both masterpieces. Um, I've used that term a lot this episode, um, but uh, it's really more about Johnny sort of. Uh, um, rediscovering himself kind of like kind of like Thelma um, and it also uh, it, here's where it's more like Call Me By Your Name uh, than Broken Mountain it, like Call Me By Your Name it, it recognizes that these two men having a relationship is going to be a problem for some people mm-hmm. and might cause a problem to them but it's not about whereas Broken Mountain a big part of Broken Mountain yeah. is about them struggling with it and and their you know potential persecution or self-hatred and all that like this movie it recognizes that in much the same way that Call Me By Your Name did uh, without being about that and I think that's I think I, I feel like it's a good sign that we're making more movies that aren't just about how much it sucks to be a gay person. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember years ago, uh, I was uh, talking with a, a listener and we were, t- I think we were talking about like the kids are all right. And he, which is a film, as you recall, I didn't like that much. Um, and, uh, listener had some vaguely accusatory things to say, <laughs> uh, about me. But I was just like, it doesn't bother me that characters are, are, are gay. Like, I love gods and monsters. Uh-huh. Like, I, I love gods and monsters. I don't know. I just and you thought like of Brooke it. Mountain. I like I, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's you know, and I like Philadelphia. And but like one thing, it, it led to a, conver- a conversation, which you know, it's like, it's a re- like, the idea of the the, I guess queer cinema um, that it's evolving kind of sort of with society, but also just as a sub genre mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it movement. Um, when it's like, okay, we're just going to act normal. Like by which I mean, like we're going to normalize this because in our film, if we just show that these people are quote unquote abnormal and that they are just, then that's, that's how people are going to see them. Right. Um, and even if they say like, even if they say like, well, I don't want to be like one of those bigots you're still thinking of them separate. Right. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, I'm going to treat them better than those bigots. Like, or you just treat them like a person, you know, <laughs> right, that's yeah. an option as well. Yeah, and, and so I think that is where, where we're headed. Um, uh, I, I, but I, I'll, I'll say one last thing, which is about the general look and feel of God's own country. Uh, and this is another way in which it very much, I think in its own way, uh, correlates to Call Me By Your Name because Call Me By Your Name is a very tactile film and this is very tactile in another way. Instead of, you know, uh, you know, Italy, you know, Italian countryside in the summer, this is, you know, northern England and mm-hmm. everything is just shitty and gray and heavy <laughs> yeah. and, muggy, and muddy and grimy. Like... <laughs> Like, uh, you know, there's like a graphic, there's more than one, there's like a graphic sex scene where I was like, ooh, gross. Not because I have a problem with two <laughs> yeah. guys having sex, but because there's fucking mud everywhere. It's gross. <laughs> um, Anytime I see like a love scene on a beach or something uh, like that, yeah. it's like, you're going to get sand in so many oh, places. Ugh. Yeah. No, thank um, you. But uh, there's there's something really hard bitten about um, the way that God's own country is, is presented. Um that makes the sort of it, it, it makes the blossoming emotion of the movie more 
earned and more real because mm-hmm. this movie is sometimes very hard because it's a life on a farm. And so you see, um, you know, animals being born, you see animals being skinned, you see hmm. dead, uh, a dead calf at one point. Like it's, Aww. yeah, it, yeah, there's some sad stuff, but then there's also like little baby lambs who are fucking adorable. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, and, and so the movie is so, I mean, the, the title isn't, uh, uh, it, it's not, uh, just, not just a clever name. Um, I rewatched Wayne's world. I'm not talking about it. I did. I did rewatch Wayne's world for the first time since I was a kid and I didn't real. I w- it's been so long since I saw Wayne's world that I didn't realize the bouncer at the gas works is meatloaf. Oh uh, yeah. I didn't like, I didn't know who that was. That's how long ago it was. Or at least I didn't know who was the, that that's what he looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so at least before fight club came out was the last time that I saw Wayne's world. Um, oh. anyway, God's own country, uh, the title, it's a movie that's very much of the earth. Um, sorry. One more thing I want to say about Wayne's world. Okay. <laughs> um, that I remembered this because I used to watch the movie all the time as a kid, but I hadn't seen it in so long. I laughed so hard at, <laughs> Um, um, what's his, what's his name? Uh, Kurt Fuller teaching them the countdown. Do you remember this? I haven't seen it since I was a kid and I saw it once. So they're making the show for real. And he's teaching them how to do a countdown in a real movie studio, which Mm -hmm. is to go five, four, three, and then point on, uh, on one. And so they're going live for the first time and they're counting and Wayne and Garth are like five, four, three and he's like uh you guys don't don't count along you know you're on camera here and then so they get to go again and the guy's counting five four three and Wayne and Garth are like nodding along with each one and Kurt's like Kurt Fuller's like you guys don't nod and so the, the third time the guy's counting it down and it just cuts to Wayne and Garth going <laughs> just like this intense <laughs> intense forced stoicism on their face <laughs> Uh, uh, I, a, I think I need to rewatch movie. it. I never, when it's I was a kid, funny. when I was a kid, I did not understand what was funny about Wayne's world. And I, because like, what, what, what is it? What's the gimmick here? And it's just, just these kind of odd characters that I know are like, is reference to a certain type of person. I don't remember the name, like the, the, the title of that type of thing, but uh, sort of like, like a, a Hesher. Yeah, that's I don't it. Think yeah. That, that's a Midwestern term. Okay. That's like a California term. I never knew the term Hesher before my wife told me about it because that's what they were called, I guess, here in California. And, but that's the thing. It's like, it doesn't take place in California, but they still, no. and it's you, a, know. It, you know, made by Canadians and takes place in Illinois. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think there's something I think I would like, like it more now. I think I would get it now. Yeah, I definitely think you would. I think there's, you know, there are a lot of comedians, you know, you and I are very into comedy. A lot of comedians talk about like, oh, you kill comedy when you analyze it. And generally I find that that's not true. I like I analyzing yeah. comedy, but I think Wayne's world is one where it's like, I think Mike Myers and like obviously Dana Carvey, but we know Mike Myers was kind of the brainchild mm-hmm. of this um, thing. I think he was just so in the groove right then that he was just doing funny shit. And it like, yeah. You know, there's a part when they get their van fixed and the guy's like, all right, that'll be 8750. He's like, uh, Wayne's like, oh man, really? He's like, all right. And he takes out some money and just slams it down. And it's like three bucks or whatever. And the guy's like, yeah, that's not enough. And Gar's like, oh, and he pulls out some into 
that's not enough. <laughs> it, it has nothing to do with the story. It's just them being very silly. Um, yeah, that's going to be a priority. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then the other side, the movie I didn't like. Um, I think it, I think it's safe to say you can just go ahead and put Wayne's World on. No, I think it'll be a little that, fun little okay. uh, uh, Easter egg, a little okay. nugget for the people. Um, anyway, uh, the movie I didn't like. And this movie got is getting good reviews, but it's a horror comedy called Tragedy Girls. I don't know. If you've oh heard yeah, no, I've heard of it. Yeah. Uh, the premise is that there's these two high school girls who are friends who uh, have a blog web website that's about true crime, and also they are committing the murders that they're covering I at see. the same time. And I feel like it's trying so hard to be of the moment and hip, but really it's like, it feels like someone older than us saying, here's what kids are like today. Here's the dangers of social media, which by the way, like all they, all they talk about is Twitter, which like uh, newsflash dude, Twitter is for old people. Yeah. <laughs> High school girls aren't, aren't on Twitter. Come on. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, they're on something that we don't, we haven't even heard of. Uh, yeah. That's probably true. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I was just, speaking of that, I was like listening to um, the new album by this guy, uh, first album by this rapper, uh, Houston rapper named Maxo Cream this morning. And I was like, this is good. This guy's going to be the next big thing. And then I was like, wait, I'm a 35 year old white man. If I'm just now hearing about this, <laughs> yeah. he's already a big thing. Oh, he's a has been. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> At this point. Um, uh, any, anyway, um, uh, so tragedy girls just really like as much as I can get all in on dark comedy and this is plenty dark. It is very gory. Um, and I think it, uh, I was thinking of, there's something I think here, I'll, I'll praise the movie a little bit here, uh, because it, it, it pulls something off, um, that makes the dark comedy even darker and funnier. Uh, so I was reading the second week in a row. I've mentioned this guy, but Alan Shurstall from village voice. I was reading his review of Braven, which is a movie I really want to see okay. the Jason Momoa action. Oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was taught and he talks in the review about how, you know, we are generally eager to see violence visited upon, uh, visited upon people. Once the movie has, has done the legwork of convincing us that they deserve it. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then we're all fine with it. And, um, tragedy girls repeatedly has horribly awful things happen to people who are nice mm. and, and it, and it actually like, I, I will give it, I will tip my hat to it, that it works, that it's yeah. part of the comedy that you know, nice, helpful people keep getting their heads crushed or their throat slit. Or oh boy. Um, yeah, it, I'm telling you, this movie is very gory. Um, but most of the time I just spent rolling my eyes at the idea that two 17 year old girls are like, do they, like they're, they're like they're worried about their blog. Like is, does anyone under the age of 30 even like talk about things as a blog anymore? Like, I feel like it's not a word I hear very often anymore. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of the online film writers that I know refer to themselves as bloggers because I feel like that's what I it was when so, they got yeah. into it. But it, you know, uh, content and, on the internet is no longer even I say this is you know you and I run a website but it's no longer centered like that it's no longer drawn to like oh you go to a website like everything is just it exists as links on social media yeah Uh, that's true um, uh, and so the idea that they're concerned about their blog and their twitter likes and followers just seemed really out of touch to me and it's probably even more out of touch than I realized because like I said I'm a 35 year old white man yeah, who who made the film? Uh, a guy named Tyler McIntyre. Hmm. How old is he? 
I, I don't know. That's not, I don't know. Uh, I could see him being like, you know, 55 and working for the FBI or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, my go-to is always Jack Webb for something like that. I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> it just feels like that. Uh, yeah, but if Jack Webb wanted the hippies to like it, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's, uh, that's my movies. You okay. got two more. I have two more. One is a rewatch and one is new, although it is not a new film. Um, new to you. It's new to me. If you haven't seen it, it's new to you. That's what our friend Townsend Coleman used to say. That's right. On, uh, on NBC. Every that's week. right. I wonder if he felt good about himself when he would say that, not to, <laughs> not to put it on him, but like if I'm an actor, it's like, ah, man, come on. I can't spin this. Um, anyway, uh, I, for the first time watched Roman Polanski's repulsion and the word's been thrown around a lot. It is a masterpiece. Okay. It is. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it in a long time. I remember liking it, but it is a movie that I'm scared to watch again. Understandable. Yeah. Um, we watched it as a function of the class that I am TAing for. So I saw it with like, a bu- like 250 like 18 and 19 year olds who were not ready for it even uh, though the, you told me they were given a, a, they were I mean, warned i don't but, know but i don't know the specifics of what constitutes a quote-unquote trigger warning but they were given a warning yes it was like hey j- the the ta said it the 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 t- the instructor said it like but there's a big difference between saying like hey this is a thing that is in the film mm-hmm. and that film right you know what i mean like style plays a big role as does the type of paranoid emerging insanity, Mm -hmm. uh, that Polanski, you know, so often trucks in or used to. Um, and so, you know, because it's not merely these rape scenes that are fantasy, but rooted in something in the past. It's not merely that it's that in the middle of an apartment that is cracking, literally Mm -hmm. cracking and a rotting bunny and, uh, that sort of thing. Like it's, it's all of this stuff. Um, and so afterwards my students without, I can't go into a lot of details, but like students were like giving, like they looked traumatized. And so I'm really interested to see, uh, that when we have a full class discussion, uh, next week, I'm interested to see what they have to say. But, uh, but if you're familiar with Polanski as I am, uh, I mean, it fits right in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it definitely belongs. Like you watch this Rosemary's baby and the tenant and it's like, all right, he hates apartment buildings. <laughs> That's for sure. Tenant, actually. It's good stuff. And he actually plays the lead himself. So it's like, okay, that should be an indication of like, all right, this is my last one of these. But it definitely, it also fits in the, with the idea. It's like somebody, a lead character who is alone feels oppressed or is oppressed and just cannot get away from what they're in the middle of. I mean, over and over again, even Oliver Twist is a similar thing. Hmm. Like that is a thing he goes to Hmm. over and over again. Um, a little bit understandable given his, uh, early life, but, uh, but yeah, so but it's not merely the, the themes. It's also, you know, Catherine Deneuve turning in a really wonderful performance and looking shockingly like Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, <laughs> there are moments I was like, well, okay, that's weird. But, um, but it's just such an effective film. Like he's doing everything right. Like the, when he chooses to cut, when he chooses to have a long take his lighting choices, the acting, like the pacing, because it's just this deliberate, dread filled pacing. Um, you know, knowing what, 
performances needed to be stylized and heightened and which ones didn't like every he's just operating like it is i'm not i don't think i would say it's my favorite film of his i think that's probably chinatown undoubtedly it's chinatown but i mean this is this might be right up there uh with my favorite of of his films and the reason that we watched it is to talk about sound design and i mean that film has astonishing sound uh we hear so many bells like the phone is always ringing and the doorbell is always ringing and so finally when Catherine Neuve like uses the razor blade and like cuts the cord to the phone like i wanted to applaud because it's so assaulting <laughs> uh of the viewer but it's a really marvelous film and if you haven't seen it and you're a fan of polanski uh or hitchcock there's some hitchcock in there too i'd say check it out let me ask you this is a multi-part question okay because this class that you're taing mm-hmm. uh this is a class you're taing right? yes yeah i knew that sorry um these are this is like an in, pretty intro level cl- level class. These are not film majors. They right? are not. This okay. also counts as a humanities class. So let me only two only like four of my forty students are film people. Um, so let me ask you. This is the multi part question. Do you think these sto- students are being their age and being not movie people? Are they aware of Roman Polanski's criminal history? Will uh, second part? Will they bring it up in the discussion? Third part? If they don't. Will you or someone else leading the discussion bring it up? The lecturer already said it. Okay. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious. If he didn't, I'm curious to know if they would have found out. One guy, interestingly enough, after class, um, he was like, that movie was pretty, pretty rough. And he said, he goes, I'd be fascinated to know more about the guy that made it. And I was like, well, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> and I said, like... A good portion of his family died in the Holocaust. Um, have you heard of the Manson family? He's like, yes. I was like, they killed his wife. Uh, and then in the 70s, he had sex with a 13-year-old girl and was convicted and then just fled the country and has been you know, on the run ever since. Yeah. And then this, to be clear, he drugged and raped at the Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we don't want to get. We don't want to be Quentin Tarantino and Howard Stern over here. I don't, right, know, I don't yes. know if you followed that uh, story this week. I, pay, I picked up on it a little bit. And I was like, I don't have the energy for this. Well, see, first everyone was mad at Quentin Tarantino for something that Uma Thurman said. But Uma Thurman came out and was like, "No, you guys got it wrong. QT and I are cool. We made up. Mm-hmm. This is you know part of the director actor relationship." And then some of the people said, "Okay, but." If we want to still be mad at Quentin Tarantino, here's something he said on Howard Stern that is yeah. like unforgivable what did he say uh basically that it wasn't rape that she willingly yeah, that and he, even howard howard stern and robin quivers are like but you know a grown man and a 13 year old girl is wrong whether she yeah. thinks she wants to or not uh and quentin tarantino uh defended roman polanski on howard stern in 2003 well i mean admittedly it was the year after Roma Polanski won Best Director. So Hollywood clearly kind of okay with it. Right, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a complicated, complicated stuff. Anyway, so after that, I... That part I'm going to say is not complicated. No, that, no, that, no, wrong. That, no, that isn't. But, but in terms of liking his movies, yeah, it gets complicated, yeah. yeah. And liking his movies after that happened. Like, knowing full well what he had done. Oh, right, And yeah, that right, he right, is right. not served... Like justice has not been served. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's hard to to really get into his stuff. But anyway, um, so after I said all that to the student, he's just like, he goes, "I think I don't want to talk about this anymore." <laughs> <laughs> so like, he was really depressed. Um, but yeah, it's but 
if you know what you're getting yourself into and recognize that it's not meant to be the most pleasurable of experiences, that it's, it's Mm -hmm. meant to do something deeper and there's a really nice open for interpretation, but I don't think, I don't think it's super vague. Like there's kind of a fair, a subtle reveal there at the end that I think speaks volumes about everything that you've just seen. And it's a really powerful film and I really loved it. Um, and then lastly, for me, this is a rewatch. And you'll probably notice a theme here between okay. last week and this week. Uh, I wa- last week, I watched Ron Howard's Frost Nixon. Uh-huh. This week, I watched Oliver Stone's Nixon. I'm working on a project for yeah. school, everybody. Um, and I have already seen uh, these films before. But uh, I... Regardless of what Oliver Stone might be now, which I would say is irrelevant for the most part, um, when he was when he was like when he was like firing on all cylinders and just being him and just had the power to do whatever he wanted to do, I just like I just love him. Like I love Platoon, I love Wall Street, I love JFK. He even managed to make the doors interesting. <laughs> I've never seen that. It's uh, Val Kilmer's great, and it's and and stylistically, it's good. You know, even if you don't like the music, it's interesting. Um, although I get to, at this point, it's probably pretty pretty cliche because we've seen that story so many times after that. Uh, and then and then his uh, and then Nixon is just so like Stone. Uh, Stone just like goes. Full speed, full steam ahead in everything he's doing. Like his films are not subtle; they're emotionally subtle. But like stylistically, like he'll just go like full force. He does not give a shit if you roll your eyes and say like, "Isn't this a bit much?" Uh, He doesn't care. He's just gonna do what he's gonna do. Even, but right in the middle of Nixon, Uh I would say Oliver Stone does not like anything that Nixon did, and probably didn't like the guy. But I think he sympathizes with him a lot. I think he sees that there's a real tragedy to who Nixon was. Yeah. I, I really miss that Oliver Stone. Because yeah. did you see Snowden? No. It's such a snooze. It's yeah. like how is how did Oliver Stone make this movie that feels so shackled? Yeah, about something he clearly is passionate yeah. about. You know, passion and maybe maybe his that style of movie making it seems very nineties. Uh mm-hmm. and so maybe it just maybe he realized I can't, I can't really make movies like that anymore. But at the same time, like, you know, when he was passionate about something and I'm not even a huge fan of natural born killers, but there's another one that like, he just, he just is going to make movies his way. And now like based on what you've told me about Snowden from a stylistic standpoint, it could have made been made by Morton (laughs) Tildum. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, as a younger man, I was a huge fan of natural born killers in case you want to know what kind of little psychopath. I was. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, uh, I think I liked it when I was, when I was younger and then I got older and I was like, yeah, there's some good stuff in here. Robert Downey Jr. Is being delightful. Yeah. Um, and Tom Lee Jones being fucking crazy and over the top. And then, you know, you see his decapitated head and all that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, that's right. But, uh, and that's the one and Gandolfini's in that, right? Yeah. Uh, who is he? He fights uh, Patricia. Ar- oh no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of True Romance. Yeah, sorry, yeah. that's right. I got. I do Tony get those. Scott is also yeah, very yeah. much does the Oliver Stone uh, maximalism thing. Yeah, that's a good way. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, they do. They are very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I do like Nixon. Great cast all the way around, and uh, 
And it's Anthony Hopkins not looking like Nixon, not sounding like Nixon, yeah. but crafting a wonderful character. Uh, last thing I want to talk about, uh, we're done, done with movies, um, but I did, I did uh, finish the second season of The Good Place. Okay. Neither you, you and I aren't caught up on Amazing Race, so no Amazing Race talk this week. Um, the Good Place, man, this show is so good. This second mm-hmm. season, and you know, I mean, I was on board from the beginning, but then if you remember, I was one of very few people who didn't love the season one twist ending. Um, having seen the, having seen all of season one, I, I was on the fence. I definitely wasn't totally on board, but I was also just like, Oh, come on. Because it's, yeah, my felt, my feeling at the time was like, uh, yes, this twist works, but it also seems like the easiest solution to the stuff you were building up. Yeah. But I should have trusted. Well, I, I don't know enough about Michael Shore cause I didn't watch parks and rec and I watched Brooklyn nine nine. Mm. Um, so I didn't know to trust him, but now I would trust Michael Schur because he didn't take the easy route at all in season two. Um, the show got weirder and weirder, uh, while also I think maintaining a, uh, uh, a point of view and a curiosity. I even, you know, even more so than, so I know that, uh, Michael Schur talked about talking with Damon Lindelof, <laughs> Before he made the, before they started the good place, he was like, you know, about the idea of keeping secrets and having twists and and having mythology and you know what Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse did right with Lost and what mm-hmm. they maybe would have changed. Um, but you know, Lost was a show that dropped a lot of references to philosophy. Yeah, I think in retrospect, I don't think it was particularly interested in going that deep like i don't think so often characters are just like hey this character's named jeremy bentham but nothing about him is related to jeremy bentham's philosophy you know what i mean it was just like name dropping yeah whereas uh the good place is a show where every episode is really truly about ethics Mm -hmm. um and what it means to be a good person and it it hasn't lost that in fact i would say it's gone deeper in the second season um, and really embraced this sort of this interest and this curiosity about humankind and also this hope that we can be better people. It's, it's a really fascinating show that is also incredibly funny. Yes. Um, the, you haven't watched the second season at all. I right? believe I saw the, f- I, I watched the first episode. Oh, the first episode's so good. Yeah. Um, but, uh, well at the end of the last couple episodes, you've got a, a two part, uh, guest arc, uh, by Maya Rudolph. Hey, all, always, right. always welcome. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, she, she plays a cosmic being, but she also has lines like, uh, okay, two things. First, if I put out guacamole, would anybody eat it? It's good. It's homemade. <laughs> that was very funny. Anyway. Um, all right. So that's it. You had another thing you wanted to talk about. I did. It was a, it's a podcast. Uh, I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts anymore. Uh, sadly. Um, but, uh, you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, I do. I did watch a couple of Netflix stand-up specials. I watched the two Todds. I watched Todd Berry's and I watched Todd Glasses, and they're All both right. every bit as wonderful as I as I know them to be. Anyway, uh, but this podcast is called A Very Fatal Murder, and it is put out by The Onion. Uh, the Onion, wait, uh, OPR like Onion, Onion Public Radio. Radio. Okay, and um, it is meant to evoke uh, serial. And I've listened to only a few episodes of Serial, but like they they nail it on a lot of 
uh, it's serial mixed with uh, this American life. Like the narrator's very Ira Glassish in his tone um, and in his cadence. But what I really do like about it, and I guess I would be inclined to like this, is you know, it does talk about like the sensationalism and just like the real morbid curiosity of like taking something's like, yeah, you know, some people's lives were shattered by this, by something and you're turning it into a kind of quirky podcast. Uh Um, so they do poke fun at that, but the thing they do that, and you know, I have always had a problem with this American life because I always thought that Ira Glass sounded condescending yeah. and the more he tried to speak the language of the people he was talking to the more condescending he sounded <laughs> it's almost like hey if i say this right i'll actually sound more elite uh <laughs> so let me do this uh and the way that the new york uh david pascal is the name of the the guy and uh the way that he he's from New York and the way he talks about the people in this, the simple people in, uh, <laughs> like new bluff, something bluff city, Nebraska or something like that. And just the way, and like, he's talking to like, like, a, a forensic, uh, guy. And he just says, he goes, he's like, now can you, you know, do you think we're able to like recreate the crime scene and keep in mind, this is middle America. So everything's a little bit slower <laughs> and just like, it's, it's stuff like that. And it, it really just speaks to like a very specific. And even when he's trying to be nice, yeah, he's incredibly cruel and it is hilarious and really well produced and, and wonderfully acted. And I, I can't speak highly enough about it. Well, I, I love the idea of someone, uh, uh, taking aim at, at, uh, this American life, and probably in cereal. I haven't listened to cereal. Um, it's interesting. Cool it's it's a uh. it's a you know it's a good show. But uh, but yeah, it's it's weird that like between American Vandal, which came out right. last year, yeah. uh, and then this is like I guess are people is it indicative of people actually turning on this true crime documentary thing? Or is it just like, we'll poke fun at, it, fun at it because we know it's not going anywhere? I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, probably more of the latter, but I trust The Onion to really get in there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think they do. And there's some fun twists as well, but check it out.